Good morning. In case I don't see you, good afternoon and good evening. Welcome everyone to the first Marketing Ops Confessions of 2022. I cannot be more excited today. And if you're here for the first time, welcome aboard. If you're a regular, well, welcome back. We'd love to have you. Please introduce yourself in the chat and ask questions throughout the conversation. As it makes sense, we'll incorporate it live. Uh, but do note that there is some uh, uh, time and place for Q&A afterwards. Uh, as a longtime MOPS professional, first-time host, I'm very much excited uh, with our guest today. Um, so Chris Walker, CEO of Refine Labs, thanks for coming on. Hey, awesome to be here, Sasha. Excited for, I can't see the people in the crowd, but also excited <laughs> to uh, spend some time with all of you today and share, you know, they asked, in the, we were in the backstage and they were like, what hot takes you got? And so maybe there'll be a couple of hot takes, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Drop your questions in. You know, let's let, let's give Chris a good time here. Um, really, I just want to start off with some amazing topics with you, Chris. But you know, on dark social, dark funnel, you're very prolific about those topics. But kind of taking you back to the ethos of Refine Labs. You know, you're like a very strong, well-known pillar in the demand gen space. You naturally talk a lot about the kind of the operational world, which a lot of our audience listens to. You know, help our audience to really understand like what defines Refine Labs and like where do you kind of get your insights from? Yeah, I think it's even helpful for people to go a little bit further back for some context. And so um, I studied and electrical computer engineering in college. That's how my brain works. And like mm -hmm. when you actually elevate that, like running a revenue system is not that much different than coding a microprocessor. You mm -hmm. have inputs, there's microprocessor does some processing, then you get outputs. Same thing, leads come in, sales team does processing to them, you get customers, you get closed loss deals. So, uh, you know, engineering background, then worked in process optimization on manufacturing facilities for several years, which, again, is another thing of like your revenue system is basically one process ripe for optimization. All mm -hmm. the ops should know this, whether you're applying tech to it, whether you're looking from a customer experience standpoint and understanding what do customers need versus what we're doing. I was looking at supply chain and thinking about how do we bring in these parts at just in time so that they get manufactured if we mm -hmm. can cut out this production process. How much does that impact our capacity of this facility? There's just so many, like, so process optimization and, and, and engineering is my background and my roots. And then as I started, I was working through a, at a large holdings company and a lot of different subsidiaries. And as I went around them, it was like very clear, this company understands product and they understand sales, but they fucking don't get marketing. <laughs> um, and so, and then when you put those things together and you see that pattern over and over in like 2014, it became very mm -hmm. clear to me like, Hey, I can see what buyers are doing. Buyers are changing. They're like less receptive to the outreach that our sales team is doing things like that. When I talk to mm -hmm. them, they tell me about how they're buying and how they're discovering and how they're learning. And I basically started to bet my career on marketing, um, from moving from product management into downstream demand gen and comms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, along the way as well, I built two e-commerce companies from my bedroom where I learned and cut my teeth on a lot of the things like conversion rate optimization, organic social, mm -hmm. creating content and creative, running media and analyzing the results, looking at attribution, whether that's in GA or at that point it was in uh, Shopify attribution, things like that. Mm -hmm. and at that point was really seen like when you start a company that has no customers and has no demand, your marketing has to work to sell stuff in an e-commerce model. There is no sales mm -hmm. team that's going to do cold calls to help you mm -hmm. get revenue. And so you quickly find out when I spend money, my own money on ads, 
does it work or does it not? Because you feel it when it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, it hurts. It hurts. And, and when you're like running, when you spend your time posting on Instagram and things like that, at some point you're going to look at it and be like, is this working? Mm-hmm. Like, are we getting customers? I've been doing this for 90 days. Like, <laughs> are people responding? Are they people being customers? So anyway, that experience in working in a B2C mindset where there is no sales team forces you to find marketing that actually works. And then with all that foundation, I joined my first venture funded company about 2015, mm-hmm. started to put all this stuff together where they were like heavily over invested in sales, had a great product and had no marketing. And they were selling to a highly technical buyer, like mm-hmm. ICU intensivists, emergency medicine physicians, people like that, having a sales team that can't communicate that message well to a physician, the clinical story and the message. And so the solution was to run over-the-top demand gen, leveraging influencers and industry experts and internal subject matter experts and evangelist customers to create content with them, to distribute that on the internet so that the technical buyers can understand that from the experts, not from our sales team, which gets them through the initial stages of buying, and then they come inbound. And then our sales team is focused on helping somebody buy in an enterprise hospital environment, which is very challenging. And so leveraging the sales rep not to convince people of clinical data that they don't understand, mm-hmm. but instead to focus the sales team on helping our customer buy in a complex environment with a three-year or more multi-year contract mm-hmm. with competitors. You had a full co- procurement process of how, it, of how that's going, legal, long-term contracts, liabilities. There's a lot of different things happening there. It's telling me my audio cut out. Are we good still? I'm still hearing it. Good. All right, great. Yeah, so, um, and then got to see how that all works. So when you're running that system, it was basically like in a $35 million company, people think that marketing is so complex and it's so hard to see what's going on. But when you're the one back there looking at all the analytics, pulling all the levers, talking to all the customers, analyzing all the pipeline, you can see that it's actually very simple. Mm-hmm. Like, whole one thing and then you wait and you're like oh so the only thing that we changed over the past 60 days is we started spending ten thousand dollars a month on facebook to advertise our products to not generate leads to teach people about our product the clinical trial and the customers that are having success with it and then all of a sudden the amount of buyers that come to our website and ask for a demo for our sales rep to drive across the state to show them that went from 10 a month to 30 a month yeah like, and this is yeah. working despite the fact that we don't have attribution on it mm-hmm there's clear correlation to this impact. And then, oh, when our sales team goes to the meetings, what is the first thing that the customer says? Customer says, I can't, I keep seeing your content on Facebook. I'm enjoying mm-hmm. it. And then they start the sales conversation. And so all of this background for me is just, I think, by, by looking at things differently, like I spend very little time reading about what other people tell you to do in marketing. I spend way more time doing things, watching how customers respond and then making my own decisions about whether or not they work. And that's probably like, we might be able to stop the event right here. <laughs> Just that's right now. Like, it's like, stop listening to what I, I mean, you can use this as inspiration. You can use this for ideas, but at some point you got to stop listening to what other people are telling you because a lot of that data is anecdotal and not very great. And, and then go out and try things for yourself. And that's where you start to get the major gains and th- you, you figure out things that people don't see, like how I figured out in 2019 that LinkedIn was a huge opportunity. And if I posted there every day for three years, I'd build a, a big, fast-growing company with a lot of awesome people and a lot of great customers. And three years ago, other people may have seen that opportunity. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't. And then the people that did see it didn't move on it at the same way. And so I have conversations with companies and they're like, we're already doing all the stuff you talk about, Chris. Yeah. We post LinkedIn. We run Facebook ads. We run LinkedIn ads. We're doing, you know, our event that we do once a week. And I'm like, 
It's not about what you do. It's about how you do it, right? There yeah, are a lot. It's of, your thought process, right? There's a lot of people that post organic content on LinkedIn. There are not very many people that will create more than $100 million in pipeline this year from LinkedIn. And so it's and how, how do you... you how do you go about that? Like, how do you go about that? Like you, you have this interesting story of like building it from the ground up and just like seeing what levers move, right? Seeing how it impacts, so you wait 60 days, does it work, right? You ask that question, right? The almost scientific method, I think about it that way. How do, you know, like what, what insights or what, where would you point or steer people like, okay, they're, they're doing some of these tactics, but they're not doing them like, well, they're just doing them just to do them. How do they up level that to a place of like, they're actually like testing it and like getting through for, throughout the process? I think the number one thing as I look at the like tech SaaS and even further into the ops community here is the number one thing is getting out of quantitative and shifting to qualitative customer insights. Mm -hmm. It's how I see, how I knew that LinkedIn was going to work was mm -hmm. because of And so I could see what exactly was happening. I'm sorry. I keep getting this warning, even though you can keep hearing, keep hearing me. Um, could you get me back on track? I keep getting this warning from the live event. Uh, let me see if we can connect in the back end. But you look like you should be good. Audio right looks now. like it's coming through perfect. Yeah. So if you could just get me on track, I lost my train of thought there for a second because the warning. yeah yeah you were you were talking about how folks need to look at the kind of qualitative oh. uh, kind of analysis and then like I, I think it's starting to feed back into this place of like how do you go from like a volume and you know kind of lead and MQL kind of focus and go to a place of like actually getting like the feedback, the stories from your customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's first cover the qualitative versus quantitative, and then we'll go into the like moving from lead gen to focusing on mm -hmm. pipeline and demand creation. So on the uh, the quantitative versus qualitative side, I just literally see, and it's it's not like it's part of the training from technology vendors, but also the executives and companies seem to value quantitative data more than qualitative. Mm -hmm. Oh, you cannot be confused. The qualitative insights are how you drive strategy and how you see opportunities that other people mm -hmm. don't see. And because companies consistently only look at qu quantitative data that gets driven through certain software tools to make mm -hmm. strategy decisions is why every single B2B company does the same dumb shit in marketing. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you have that insight, right? Like that 82% of your revenue comes from like organic search, you do zero SEO driven efforts, right? Mm-hmm. And so those are like, and the qualitative is always what it was. So like when I was mm -hmm. trying to sell blankets on Instagram in 2014 or like beach towels and things like that, like seeing the people that commented, replying to their comments, and then later watching them be, have the name, their name is the person who checked out in the cart. Like you're not going to have data about that comment and how it connects there. And so you actually have to be the, in there to see it. Um, or mm -hmm. when, we, that we would show up to the sales, the sales team would show up to meetings and the customer would say, I keep seeing your content on Facebook. Like those mm -hmm. are signals that there's not, you're not going to show up in a dashboard. So you need to like really lean into them. Um, and I think that people just struggle with it because they're looking for some type of report that says, here's the map, here's where you go. And the mm -hmm. truth is there's a ton of different ways to win. There's a ton of things to do. Um, and so like, just because of what we're doing doesn't mean that you have to take this exact path either. 
And so, but the, the key is that you need customer insights that first surface qualitatively. And then if you need to, you can validate them quantitatively to then move in that direction, as opposed to listening to vendors or analyst firms or other companies that tell you a, to a specific story. So that's on one side. And now moving to shifting from like lead focus on MQL leads to focus on pipeline, mm -hmm. like real, my thought process, and this is really well documented, but like the number one thing that it comes down to is that you should go out and you should analyze each individual lead gen program against revenue, not cost per lead. And just look at what's happening from a customer acquisition cost standpoint, overall sales productivity, how many leads, AKA mm -hmm. email addresses do you need to get a customer? What does your revenue target look like next year? How many customers are you going to need to get to that revenue target? Is it even feasible to collect that many leads? Like I've been through models with companies. They're building their model for mm -hmm. 36,000 leads last year and they closed like 80 deals, right? So <laughs> that could be immediately like a flag, like something's wrong here, but they did 36,000 leads, closed 80 deals. Mm -hmm. And then next year they're like, okay, so, but we need to grow it like 250%. And then they're like, okay, so we need, we need like 105,000 leads. And you're like, there's only 36, like there's only 40,000 people that could buy your product. You know, yeah. you're, you're reaching a place where this literally just makes no sense. And so what mm -hmm. happens when they do that and companies will do this is that you reach for like Google, like broad match Google ads or broad mm -hmm. match, like some type of display ads optimized for max conversions. And then you don't check it and you literally drive spam garbage. Like people that have the job title of stripper into your, I'm not joking. That's literally happened to one of what we've entered Salesforce instances where stuff like that happens because you're not even looking at the quality. All mm -hmm. you're looking for is, can I hit 105,000 leads this year without looking at anything? And what you do when you scale that up is that you basically have some, some level that's working, which is probably like 4% of raw leads. And then mm -hmm. all you're doing is putting a bunch of junk on top of it to hit a vanity metric. Um, and so the first step is analyzing each individual program. So you could go and look mm -hmm. at content syndication and whatever else. And you have to also look at it in a certain way, which is, is the goal of this lead gen program to get someone immediately to an SDR? Mm -hmm. If you're collecting a lead to pass them directly to an SDR, then you need to evaluate that lead source against pipeline and revenue. Right. Not stage one and pipeline, like a, like a pipeline stage close one actual, actual accurate revenue. revenue for your business. Not, right? not, not the visible <laughs> touch point report that gives content indication, a touch point from seven years ago when it did nothing. Yeah, just like a little like little fluff metric of like, yeah, a little plus one, a little check mark for you, right? I guess like how do you how do you go about this like kind of like process of you know evaluating some of these kind of like soft levers, right? So you, you talk about, you know, a lot of that qualitative feedback of like, hey, I want to I, I you know, I hear the, the the Instagram comments really relating to your business and closing. How does how do folks in like organizations where they've already kind of got some of these bad practices in place, how do they kind of unpack and unwind some of that? Like, how do they go from a place of, you know, instead of building it from the fresh from the start in the correct way and then building up and scaling it as you did, you know, imagine you inherit a system. Like a lot of us, like as we change jobs, you go into systems where you don't have that luxury. How do they, how do they go? How do they start unpacking that? Right? Like a lot of our folks are in the operation space, demand gen space, you know, where a lot of this just kind of falls in their lap. And they say, like, go deal with it. Go figure yeah. it out. Where do you yeah. start? So what you're describing here is very common, which is that as companies grow, they create infrastructure and processes which create artificial barriers to changing. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And so you look at that and you're like, oh, we can't change our MQL model. We have 45 SDRs that need all these MQLs. Yep. And so instead of recognizing this shit isn't working and we need to, <laughs> and we need to start over and think about something new, but companies don't do that because it's, and the barriers are truly artificial. It's right. just, it's a cha and change that people don't recognize as necessary. And then you just die by a thousand cuts, like a bunch of things that hit you from a bunch of different places and you, and you miss. So um, if you can, I think the first thing, and I noticed this a lot is that companies, even the mm -hmm. ones that I've looked at before call like refer to themselves as, customer focused right customer driven and then you look at every single decision <laughs> they make and it couldn't be less true it's the mm -hmm. least true thing ever they think about themselves first and then at some point it trickles down and then they think about financials and margins and how they want to sell and what that looks like for their sales team and then the mm -hmm. last thing they look at is okay so how are our customers going to respond to this and you need to flip that and so the the challenge and why companies don't get never get here is because the people at the executive level don't recognize this is true which makes it impossible for people underneath them to implement it but the organization needs to shift and if you did and you actually listen to what people are saying this stuff is so obvious right i mean it just makes sense like why create so many friction points on your website your brand like like look don't you know like it's like this whole motion of like ungating like how do you how do you feel about this right like a lot of marketers again coming back to this like feeling that they need this attachment to this this metric of i need to generate emails mickey mouse at domain.com like they mm -hmm. they love that metric and i almost call it like mql or marketing rehab like you need to get out of that mindset you need to get like to the things that move the business how do you how do you go about that like how do you go about this like notion of like well i i'm gonna hide my five page ebook behind a four mm -hmm. It's just be, people are playing uh, an old game with old rules. Mm -hmm. Those rules, those rules existed before Facebook had scale, right? Like before LinkedIn, before LinkedIn was nothing more than you had a profile in college to hope you got your first job. Mm -hmm. Like this, the the marketing methodologies that get implemented in most companies come from a time pre two thousand ten. Have just been more technology put on top of the same strategies. And so at some point you need to look and be like, like the way that the fundamental way that buyers buy, how people get information, how people want to transact in a B2B environment has fundamentally changed. Mm -hmm. We need to think about what are the old rules that we need to stop playing by, aka attribution, aka lead gen, things like that. And how are we going to replace that with new rules that set us up to win the new game? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess it's like a, partnership right like so demand gen now let's say like you have forward looking open-minded demand gen folks who are like okay chris i buy into what you say i need to get rid of the past and move on to the new but i need to be more revenue focused i want to talk to my sales team how does the insights and all the like boots on the ground input from the sales team actually get translated to how demand gen teams think about their work and their operation? Like, what have you seen? And like, what should they be doing more of? Yeah, I, I mean, um, before we get into that, I think the first step here is having alignment across the uh, commercial executive team. So whether that's a COO, mm -hmm. CRO, CMO, CEO, whoever those people are, of what the actual go-to-market strategy is, mm -hmm. right? So what usually happens, and uh, it's not maybe not usually, but there's a common scenario where it's like marketing knows, like looks at the data with ops and realizes, hey, none of these MQLs close. Mm -hmm. I don't know why we're doing this. Like I'm here, like we should be able to do something that's more customer focused, but the sales team still thinks that they, they need 30,000 MQLs in a year. 
Right. So it's having alignment on what is the actual go-to-market strategy first. If you don't have alignment between those two leaders, there is always going to be friction. Um, and then once you have alignment, like there needs to be collaboration and things like that, but it's nowhere near what people do right now. People use mm -hmm. collaboration as a band-aid to replace having alignment. Right. Have extra meetings. They think about being one team. They think about um, like all of these things because there are there's symptoms of misalignment that they need to replace. When you have full mm -hmm. alignment, you can just go. Marketing knows who they're targeting. Marketing knows what they need to deliver. They're looking at the, they know what the goals are. They know what they need to deliver in terms of pipeline every quarter. They know what sales is going to win and what they're going to lose. And then sales can execute on that part of the plan and also go out and get whatever the 30 to 40 to 50% of additional mm -hmm. revenue they need to get to hit their quota, but marketing is going to deliver. And so like there's, um, I am like sometimes when you see over collaboration, I think it's actually a negative thing. I think that you mm -hmm. need to set the, the rules of engagement, so to speak, before you actually start executing. And if you have a well-defined ICP, a good feedback process from sales to marketing using data, not a mm -hmm. meeting, real-time data of, hey, these things are working, these things aren't, so that when marketing goes in and turns on one of their lead gen programs again, they can see immediately, we collected 20 leads, they immediately moved to close lost or recycled, and then we can just move on. And they can mm -hmm. say, okay, those 20 gives us a feedback point of one day of, hey, let's turn this shit off. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and yeah. I would ask, like, actually on that vein is, like, a lot of natural early tracking metrics that folks start to think about is, like, time to first touch, time to, to lead outreach, right? Expand a little bit more of, like, how folks should be thinking about, like, obviously quick follow-up, I think, makes sense. But... Does it make sense for all audiences? Does it make sense for all segments? This is one of the old rules people got to stop playing by. <laughs> Following up with a lead in five minutes made a ton of sense in 2012 when there wasn't contact information, when buyers didn't have all mm -hmm. the information available, and when you were basically having someone download an ebook to get their phone number to cold call them, and not a lot of other people were doing it, which is why it was why it was semi successful. Right. Right. Who knows? Because at that point, marketers weren't measuring <laughs> revenue anyway. So who knows whether or not it was really successful or whether it just created mm -hmm. the activity. Um, and so that's like the that's that's what people do. But thinking about it differently of like, OK, now, 10 years later, from 2012 to mm -hmm. 2022, like buyers have all this information available. They want to do most of the buying process independently on their own. We need to mm -hmm. enable people to do that. Right. The stat out there that people have is. A buyer mm -hmm. will spend less than 5% of their buying process with your sales team. Yep. Um, so what are they doing the other 95%? You want to gate all your content. You want to not promote anything. You want to try and push them into a meeting when they're, they don't want it. Like acknowledging how people want to buy would allow you to fundamentally change your strategy. Mm -hmm. And what we do here, and it's just like, it's literally common sense, is like when a qualified buyer wants to meet with us, we allow them to book a calendar right when, the, right when they do it. Mm -hmm. And then there's no speed to lead requirement. We don't need an SDR to follow up. With this. <laughs> They're converting to qualified opportunities at more than 80%. And so people are gumming. Their show rate is super high. The qualification rate mm -hmm. to, to a meeting that, or a, an opportunity that we're going to win is very high. What's the point of having – It's just it goes back to the manufacturing facility process optimization. You right. just look at it and you're like, okay, so qualified buyers are coming in here. They're saying, hey, I want to talk to your sales team about buying this stuff right now. And then what we do is we need to figure out how to route it. And then it goes to some SDR. And these SDR calls, ask them 10 dumb questions or sends them the worst thing. <laughs> sends them an email with no calendar link and doesn't ask them for a meeting. Right. And just so, and just creating artificial friction, right? 
and you go back and forth three times. And then as the buyer, you're like, I'm out of here. Like I asked for a meeting. I have better things to do. Yeah. And so it's like, how do we make that process so efficient? The easiest way is one, make sure that the people that are going to that form are qualified to buy and convert to pipelines. So you're not flooding mm -hmm. yourself with bad meetings. Mm -hmm. And then once those people are converting to opportunities or the first meeting greater than 50%, put a calendar link in there and let them book it themselves. And then you don't need to have this follow-up process. And so it's when you transition away from, we need to collect low intent leads and follow mm -hmm. up in five minutes for people that don't want to talk to us and didn't ask to talk to us like it's 2012 <laughs> and transition to, we need to create mm -hmm. demand so buyers want to come to us and actually want to buy. And when they actually want to buy, what they want to do is they want to book a meeting and speak to an expert that can tell us, tell them whether or not our solution is going to solve their problem. Right. And so like then to this list of that point, it seems like, you know, you really shouldn't be focusing so much on the, like your brand property of like, you know, these gatings, these friction points of like, look, if somebody's interested, they'll reach out, they'll go through that demo. Everybody knows what it is. Like, I don't know any buyer who's like, goes to a demo is like, I know that sales is going to be all over this. Like who, who doesn't know that? Like the only time I get spam requests and demo, demo forms is when somebody is like, I want to sell you something indirectly. And I'm going through a really weird channel. Like it's not a partnerships channel. I, I'm just trying to contact you as a company, right? That's the only time I'm like, cool, filter that crap out. Mm -hmm. is it seems like there's like a lot more focus of like you talk about this dark social concept and I want to like bring that a little bit more into this fold of mm -hmm. how do you how do you how do teams kind of rechange their focus from yes it's great to have content it's great to have opinions that matter to people use cases pain points on your site that's awesome but how do you go to places where you know word of mouth podcasts communities where people are actually doing a lot of their like Right, like used to call water cooler effects, right? Like now maybe it's like Zoom hangouts. Like I don't know what it is. Slack, Slack communities. Like how do how do folks? Yeah, how do folks change that focus to you know from like hey, I need to like just be pushing out content endlessly for no reason on our site to how can I make people actually interested in the pain? Like realize like the awareness stage of how do I realize that this pain even exists? Not even like you or your competitors. Like that is so down funnel in the process. Right. Like, mm -hmm. how do you how do you go up to that, like, upper upper side of like where where like these conversations actually happen? Like Word of mouth is the most powerful one. How do you generate more of that? Yeah, I mean, I think step one that most people never do is acknowledge that this is what's happening now. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people stay keep looking at their visible dashboards and attribution and never even think that this is happening. Think that B2B mm -hmm. buyers just show up and. <laughs> Google search magically. And right away, magically, <laughs> and not recognize how this is happening. Mm -hmm. So step one, acknowledge what's happening, which is that now that B2B buyers have access to their peers in a way that they didn't have just a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. where they can access their peers in Zoom meetups, social networks, content mm -hmm. platforms like podcast, YouTube, things like mm -hmm. that, communities like Slack or a Slack community, Peak community, mm -hmm. a group like, a, like Dave Gerhardt's Facebook group, um, yep. meet up like a VC meetup with a bunch of CMOs, direct word of mouth. Like I send you a DM, whether that's, I get DMS from people on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, multi-channel. Yeah. Yeah. All, so all of that stuff and the reality that, so that's where B2B buyers are communicating between one another through the scale of the internet and none of it gets tracked by attribution software. And so we need to acknowledge so the, the reality and how I just define it for people is dark, social, dark not being tracked by attribution software, not creating mm -hmm. intent data because the platforms that it happens mm -hmm. on have privacy policies that restrict that from ever happening. 
dark social, meaning word of mouth that has now mm -hmm. been scaled through the internet. So it's not like in 1949 where you're like, hey, I've got this new mailbox. I love it. I'm going to tell my neighbor about it. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have a product that you love, you can tell thousands of people in a bunch of different places. Yeah. So it's just been the people don't understand the scale effect. And then when mm -hmm. you have people that are creating content for their website, not recognizing that most people will never even hit Google to have the opportunity to find it. Yeah, it could be the best content in the world, but they might not ever find it. Exactly, because of where they actually consume because there's less friction to getting the things that they want. Mm -hmm. um, so putting that stuff and the way that we use social specifically, mm -hmm. you, whether it's paid or organic, the strategy is exactly the same. It's just whether or not you're paying to guarantee distribution to the exact target or you're using organic and you don't get guaranteed distribution to the exact target. Mm -hmm. And we put information there that educates people to be the trigger for somebody to see that information mm -hmm. and share it in a community to take a screenshot of the ad that talks about your category and to drop it in their internal Slack channel with their other executives mm -hmm. or their marketing team, which by the way, happens all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I literally probably at least 10 times a week get, get messages or emails or things like that mm -hmm. from from anyone from a CMO to a marketing manager that yep. says, share your contact in my <laughs> channel all the time. Yeah. Um, and so if you put out good stuff and that, that literally has to be the most valuable touch point ever, mm -hmm. a, a leader in a company sharing a piece of information with the rest of their team or yeah. the rest of their executive team has to be the most valuable touch point ever. If you use the attribution software to quantify <laughs> the effectiveness of it, zero dollars, least effective thing ever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah. this concept of like living rent free, right? Like, how do you, how do you change like your tactics to be generate more things that like are free and distributed, like the positive halo effect rather than, you know, I, I don't know, like, just like this, like, oh, I want to like get this conversion point it's super transactional. Like I see a lot of folks yeah. on this like growth hacking mindset on LinkedIn who are like, hey, here's like, here's a slideware or like carousel window that like improves conversions and everybody like jazzes all about, about it. Like, right. Like this is again, like that, that marketing rehab of like, what if, you know, you change that medium. I was like, this is a distribution channel. And I really like the, the nuance you talked about there is like, you have guaranteed audience hitting, like you're guaranteeing that someone's going to hit as opposed to organic, which is great to have. It's the most powerful channel, but it's really hard to control. Like there's mm -hmm. activities you can help with it, but like, you can't force somebody to come to your site and be excited about your product. Clear use cases for how to use both. And the answer is both, right? There's people out mm -hmm. there being like, yeah, we've never, we've grown. We've never paid for advertising before. <laughs> it's like you're dumb. Like there's underpriced advertising channels that you could hit your entire marketing mm -hmm. growth. Um, mm -hmm. And so people take pride and ego and like not only using <laughs> organic because they think that it's free. Organic is not free. It takes people to create organic content for it oh, to yeah. work you need to keep maintaining that. So there's like, some stuff going around like organic is free, which is not, uh, <laughs> which is not which, true. <laughs> yeah. Um, the way that we've like that we help companies achieve this. And the first mm -hmm. way I got over it was because I worked at a company in 2016 through 18, $35 million high growth company mm -hmm. that the CEO and the executives, all they cared about was how much revenue is marketing contributing to our business. Yeah. And, and it's sad that most marketers walk into companies and do not have that mandate. They have the mandate yeah. of we get 9,000 more website visits next month or dumb shit like that. And so if you actually simplify marketing to how, many, how much pipeline and revenue 
do we and at what customer acquisition cost and pipeline velocity do we drive through our website and how does that compare against those top level business metrics against other ways that we get revenue mm -hmm. like buying trade show booths running our outsourced bdr team having sales mm -hmm. source their own deals or anything else that you spend and so and when you look at that you'll see wow like the number one way to grow my business is to educate buyers so that they come to our website and say, Hey, could I talk to your sales team about buying your stuff now? Mm -hmm. And if you looked at that and then we center on marketing on that. It's just about how much do we spend on marketing and how much gets generated through that. And then you don't need to work. And then the attribution component is used to drive strategy, not to prove credit of specific programs. Right. Right. It the changes the lens a little bit, right? It, it changes it dramatically because mm -hmm. at that point, like if a CFO comes back and you're like, let's just say you spend a million dollars on marketing mm -hmm. and you have $6 million ARR coming through your website. And then you look at that and you're like, wow, we're running marketing at like a two month CAC payback. And the CFO comes over and says, Hey, like, I don't know if these, uh, I don't know if these Facebook ads are working. I don't see this in attribution. You can go back and say, look, the benchmark of what most companies at our scale and size do right now is that marketing mm -hmm payback is more than 12 months we're running a two and a half month payback period right doing so yeah. much so why are we debating why are we debating <laughs> why is this a conversation right we're super high performing um and then from there because those questions still mm -hmm. kept happening we eventually evolved to and we kept trying to it's so funny we i kept trying to fit um what people were asking for and trying to like you know buy some attribution software <laughs> and figure out how it can measure uh word of mouth which is right. like not or by like try and figure out how to do things that fit into the old rules instead of looking mm -hmm. at the new rules. And then when you look at the new rules, it's just like, why don't we just ask our buyers where they heard about us? Right. Simple. I mean, like, it's, so I think the, the, the behavior is simple. Like it's a simple common sense outcome, but I think some of the ways to do their, like, it can be difficult if you're going through some of these points of like, Oh, I have this old mindset in my head. I'm like, Trust I'm not out with it. You know. <laughs> I've been in doing this for more than seven years and I just figured this stuff out, right? There's, they're unlearning things that have been ingrained mm -hmm. in marketing for so long is hard. Mm -hmm. So um, I have empathy for a lot of people that are listening to this, thinking that a lot of these concepts don't make sense mm -hmm. um, because it's like, I now run a business about it and I've been focused on solving this mm -hmm. like a mad scientist for years <laughs> and just getting to the point where I'm understanding how to explain dark social, how to solve the attribution thing. And as we mm -hmm. continue to create scale, which is what we're doing at Refine Labs here, is as we continue, we work with 50 B2B SaaS companies right now, mm -hmm. hundreds in the future. And through that scale, we will create accelerated data, intellectual property, trade secrets, th things like that, yep. that could be replicated. And so the self-reported attribution and the custom conversions in LinkedIn ads and those things are the preview. Mm -hmm. We're going to keep coming. And it's, I think that the data is going to be more robust and more effective as we keep innovating here. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like, you know, there, there's sometimes this notion in the operations space where it's like there is because the industry, because the profession is so new, you know, there is new ways in Slack communities and discord groups, wherever, wherever you get your information, there's new like quote unquote best practices where people is talking about things. But it always feels like the community is very still very small. Like if you talk about like B2B as a whole or B2C even. There's so many, there's so much like thought process, whether good or bad. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, you know, companies could, you know, even competitors, even direct competitors, do you feel like operations and like some of these process changes, it's something that should be like kept secret. Like you 
and you're like you, you as you scale from 50 to 100 customers you like you you discover some of these common sense things you discover something that's like really accelerates your business mm-hmm. is that something that like you feel like maybe not yourself but other companies would like withhold or do you feel like lots of companies can win with good process like process isn't necessarily the thing that like differentiates you it's like it's product it's you know it's how you execute like do you feel like where where do you stand on that um I mean, uh, I think operations as a function is critical for success during scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the function is so new and has been predominantly defined by technology vendors mm-hmm. that um, you have a one. It's just like demand gen. It's just like, right. just like marketing is a space that has been pretty much defined by the technology in the category. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that having a outside view in ops from either a consulting firm or something like that mm-hmm. that's objective that's not attached to technology vendors that's focused on delivering the best in class outcomes to define mm-hmm. what the processes should look like and how it should work is actually the future mm-hmm. and i just there hasn't been a company in marketing if you look at all the firms that mm-hmm. look like my firm what they do is they become a google partner and then they just do whatever google says <laughs> right what what does google tell them to do to figure out the best ways to spend more of your money on google ads right and when you come and so and then you get another vendor that likes to do technology implementations for six cents. And what do you get? The you get the exact strategy that makes six cents look the best. Right. So it, so it I, almost seems like there's like this point, like if I was to bring it like one depth or one level lower, it seems like there's this this pathway of, you know, being platform agnostic is something I heard from you say. And then two, it, it seems like there's somebody who can almost like generally advise in the space, right? Like it feels like the space is moving so quickly mm-hmm. and people are still stuck on the old, like, right? Like if we could get everybody on the old to like migrate to the new, that would be killer. A lot of businesses would yeah. have double digit returns. But like thinking about the future of like those, you know, what we used to call digital natives. And now maybe it's like, you know, you know web three natives, you know, I don't know what it is, but right, those, those companies who are now building from the latest technology, they're implementing the modern data stack, they're doing all these things that like are new or considered new age for the time. Mm-hmm. How do they, you know, how does like a company like that, how does like a new company like this really take advantage of some of these concepts? Like how do they, you know, like forward looking, how do they look for the future? It's so interesting. Like, uh, the, the things that we do are not like web three or, or that we don't even implement a lot of technology. And so that's mm-hmm. sort of like what's what I'm trying to get at here is like to do effective marketing and to do effective operations, I find is the mm-hmm. easiest way is to focus on customers and simplify. Mm-hmm. It's not complicated. And so in just generally in up op- in anything, demand generation, operations, just tech SaaS in general, right. I find people love to overcomplicate stuff because it makes it feel like it's more effective when it's not. It actually mm-hmm. makes it way harder to maintain, way harder to implement. The person that implemented it leaves. You have poor documentation and you're stuck with this fucking mess. <laughs> so like to simplify things, like I've seen mm-hmm. workflows in HubSpot that have like a trillion branches. Like how do you even figure out how to edit this? Right. Uh, and so like those to, to like an effective strategy can be highly simple. And that's what I'm kind of trying to push people to mm-hmm. think about. There are, Comp- complex processes and realities that I describe here, like dark social, that takes a minute for you to understand. Sure. But it's simple. Yeah. Um, it makes sense, right? Like it makes sense that the internet has amplified these communities where you can share your voice faster and louder than you ever could before. You know, before I could, you, you mentioned this analogy of like 
you're, you're talking to your neighbor, like even a mail down, even a post service is limited by how, how fast they can get information to you. Now you're like, mm-hmm. I, can, I can start a, a new a Discord channel, a new Twitter thread. I can get thousands of people who I've never talked to yeah. engaging directly, like if it's, if it's really potent. And I think what we, what we need in this space is a firm to say, this is how you run ops. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think there's a lot of, lot of like unnecessary trash that mm-hmm. gets put into the ops bucket that you'd ra- better to not do. It'd right. be easier to not do. And I think that if we were able to do that and get rid of the trash, that we could actually elevate the profession to focus on things that matter, like forecasting, mm-hmm. like fixing attribution so you can do better marketing. <laughs> like forecasting, attribution, mm-hmm. um, customer experience, optimization, mm-hmm. things that matter. Um, right. But we, the profession can't do all those things because they're caught up implementing technology, building automation that doesn't matter, and feeding data that nobody uses. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess like uh, uh, changing pace a little bit here, kind of forward looking, some of these topics we're talking about is some of these processes are artificially complex in some capacities. Like we're, we're overcomplicating it and we're creating artificial barriers. That's kind of what we've talked about. Do you imagine a world, maybe not this year, like not this coming year, but just like in general, where some of the B2C type of characteristics of, you know, touchless purchasing goes into a B2B world, right? So like there's this concept of like a human endpoint, right? What I consider a human endpoint is like, I put my credit card to connect a business to a business. I want a service and a business provides it. And the only thing in between there is like, I have to swipe my credit card. That seems so inefficient, right? Do you imagine a world where we remove a lot of that like B2B complexity and it's just like, uh, almost like a AI shopper for B2B businesses. Like you can configure it. Here's what you want. Here's what you don't want. Your standard negotiation rate is like, you're trying to get 25% off the like the sticker price. Mm-hmm. You feel like there's like a world where we could have B2B look a lot more like B2C. I think we're seeing that with the emergence <laughs> of product-led growth. I think that's like mm-hmm. a pretty, pretty clear path. The thing that I notice in the market that a lot of people don't like to admit is that companies that build from the beginning, PLG mm-hmm. can have a lot of success. And then then they struggle to add the enterprise motion later. Mm-hmm. They're very good at collecting $20 a month subscriptions, right. but suck at trying to expand the three users in that mm-hmm. are playing around with the tool in Google to become an enterprise customer. Right. You take the companies that were, maybe they started a little bit earlier, but they're enterprise SaaS first mm-hmm. and they sell 50K plus ARR deals. And now they're getting pressure, whether it's from their VCs or whether they see buying mm-hmm. behavior change that they need to implement a product-led motion and the product doesn't get there. And then right. they, and it's a lot more difficult to <laughs> putting a free trial button on your website and get people in the product. Because if you put the free trial button in the website and you have free trial and demo, what happens is that the buyers take the path of least resistance. So all your demos that were, go, that were going to your sales team in that pipeline now goes into a free trial and gets stalled in the product. And then what do you do? Then you have your sales team chasing around buyers of a free trial, which is a terrible <laughs> buying experience or yeah. sales team is starving. And so the companies that start enterprise and try and add a PLG mm-hmm. really struggle to make it work because it hurts at the beginning for like right. months. You can kill pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's, um, I think there's like some paths here, but I think that people need to be very thoughtful and strategic about if and how it gets implemented um, and so like we're in the process of building several products here at Refine Labs, mm-hmm. having a go to market motion that includes a PLG 
what I think most likely a, a complete freemium model, not a free trial, freemium model mm-hmm. that people get into. But then what happens after that? Do you expect people to convert on their own? Do you expect, do you want to have a sales overlay to move those deals forward? Those are things that we haven't figured out yet, but right. um, I'm like 100% interested at this point in like the thing that's I found like really interesting and successful about me is mm-hmm. that I, I do the things on our customers that <laughs> What, that we have success with ourselves, yeah. Right. The the attribution dashboards that I help our customers set up. It's the exact thing that it looks like <laughs> in our instance. Drink um, your own champagne, yeah. And so, like instead of listening to other people's propaganda about how they're doing PLG, mm-hmm. let's build PRG ourselves and see how it really works. Yeah, like really get that like first person perspective of like, hey, like this is what we've done. This is what works for us. Here's how you can apply it. But again, take it with a grain of salt. Right. It's a, it's always this analogy of like mixing art and science right there's like the data you always have and there's like okay like what does your gut tell you you're you're a smart person who lives this every day like what do you think what, what is your hypothesis here or like That's i feel like great. people have people, lost that <laughs> yeah people um people call it gut but it's really qualitative data and insights that's what it mm-hmm. is right it's just that you you some people have trouble explaining it but mm-hmm. basically your entire life all you do is collect qualitative data at scale mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. all of your senses right and that as you progress through life you feel like it's gut but it really is mm-hmm. underlying things that you've collected over time and so if you can think about gut informing those decisions typically those decisions are right mm-hmm. and you can recognize that and then realize wow the reason that those decisions are right is because it was informed by qualitative data and i felt a little bit weird about it it felt like gut because i didn't have quantitative data but look i'm making great decisions when i do it this way maybe i should add more qualitative data to the mix Mm -hmm. um it literally is the superpower in business i've been doing this stuff for nine (laughs) years prioritizing qualitative over quant and it's just Mm -hmm. so much more effective you make you you move like sometimes it could be like a decade before your competitors move. I'm not over exaggerating here. Like if yeah. we look back and we look like uh, there's no company in the market that's executing on LinkedIn, like my company's doing right now. It's yeah. not even close. Right. Um, and it's just like, why there's companies that raise $500 million out there with a bunch of different <laughs> employees that are smart. Why can't they do it? And it's because they are not like, it's just so interesting to think about why it's clearly working, but why don't they do it? And it's just harder to, you need to have the right values and the right principles for it for mm-hmm. people to want to do it and for it to work in the way that's intended. Right, and I, I guess I'll leave like we're we're just about to come up to like our Q and A session for the last ten minutes. I wanted to give you a chance to kind of like change the conversation to kind of pivot a little bit. We've talked about a lot of really great topics. Is, is there anything else that you're really kind of passionate about for this year that we haven't talked about yet that you would like to? I think the number one opportunity in ops right now. Actually, I'll, I'll give you a couple. I would give the roadmap for an ops team this year. Number one, fix attribution so that your team can do things that actually work. We need to have a level. You need to stop relying only on software. And mm-hmm. you are the team that can drive that in a company, educate executives on why software is not the only way to do this and how to add other mechanisms so that your team can release the handcuffs on demand gen and everything else <laughs> if it actually works. So mm-hmm. to fix attribution is number one. The next thing is to look at the entire inbound customer experience and fix it. Mm-hmm. Where After they submit a demo or they ask for something, where do they go? How does that call go? How long does it take for, for a follow-up if you're still on the speed to lead thing? What does that follow-up look like? How could it be more effective? 
I'm going to go talk to 20 of the people that we moved to close lost and collect information on what they thought about their experience. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hire some of my friends or some people that I know to secret shop us and give us honest feedback of what they're, of what they think about it. Mm. And then work through, and I do that with a lot of our cust- our customers. I'll secret shop them, yeah. and I'll see what they do, and I'll, co- I'll collect every single touch point, every single data, how long it takes, what was my opinion on it, how it could be better, and get all that insight, and then start with a blank slate and say, when we have people that are qualified to buy, that say, I want to buy, how do we get them into a meeting with an expert mm-hmm. that can help them so that they can move through a buying process? Your win rates will go up significantly. Your sales cycles will go down significantly. Your customer experience mm-hmm. will get significantly better without doing anything else. No mar- no marketing, yeah. no new budget, no <laughs> new programs, just fixing a process of ha- when people want to buy or helping them buy. Um, and yeah. those are a couple of like major wins that, and that put you as an ops team from a tactical executor. Here's some sh- projects, go do them. <laughs> I'm driving the business and the strategy of the roadmap of the major things that we need to do to be successful mm-hmm. in the future. Um, yeah, that's how I would do it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like this, really like the superpower is like the storytelling, right? Like this this powerful storytelling, right? Like there's, I don't want to say it's like old because like it's, I feel like it still exists. Like this, the economy between sales and marketing and this like, again, it kind of touches on the attribution piece of marketing sourced or marketing influenced, mm-hmm. right? Like I've always, I never understood that terminology because I'm like, has any marketer or most marketers have never been in the sales table actually selling? And I know sales teams despise that notion of like, I do all the work. I figure out the territory plan, the account hierarchy. I sell them to this account. I figure out the pain points. I close the deal with legal. And you got like a webinar download and that's, that's your sales, you know, this market, this deal goes to you. Right. I yeah. feel like it's always, it comes down to this notion of how does marketing kind of assist in that buyer journey and what are the wins that happen? Like, what are acceleration points? Like, how do you how do you bring that out? And like, how do you tell that story? I think that's I think that's like a lot. Like, if if nothing else, like I think that's like one of the major points is like revenue attribution, figuring out how to like meet your customers at the right demand point. It's like how do you mm-hmm. tell the story of like how customers actually see you? I really yeah. love that like secret shopper thing. Like that that to yeah. me is like wow. Like that it, it makes sense. Like ask people you trust to genuinely go through your process and see, see what you can track and where you're missing. You'll, and just by the way, for people that are wondering, you'll never get the pushback from sales of, Hey, that webinar demo didn't do it. If you don't use influenced revenue as your attribution <laughs> model. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the honest hot take. There is not a single deal that your business has closed in the history of your business that wasn't influenced by marketing. There's no yeah. sense measuring it. It doesn't matter. Every single customer is going to visit your website to see some level of marketing at some point, to leverage enablement tools, all of those things that marketing typically owns in a business, every mm-hmm. single deal is marketing influenced. The only difference is whether or not you want to use software to attribute it to go back and prove ROI for things that would have happened anyway. And so yeah. the, just the, the idea and the use of influence revenue, I think is totally flawed. Right. Um, uh, for one, this reason that I mentioned is that like, it's going to get influenced by marketing anyway. The second thing mm-hmm. is that you only get to leverage things that you can measure by software, which <laughs> is so limiting. Yeah. And so 
like it just goes it's like whether you use influence revenue or source revenue as the main thing it doesn't matter the the thing is that if you only use software to measure it you're just handcuffing your marketing team and your sales team of what they can do right. um so when i like you don't get the pushback and i haven't gotten the pushback ever when what's happening is that you have net new accounts that sales is not targeting that are coming through the website saying, hey, I want to buy now. And then instead of them taking 120 days to close, they're closing in 45 days. And instead of mm -hmm. you winning those opportunities at 7%, you're winning them at 39%. And then you keep building on that and they keep seeing, hey, there's this like this flow of customers. What Q1, we were working on this. We were getting $1.5 million in pipeline. Q4, now we're getting $7 million in pipeline from marketing. Mm -hmm. This is working. Um, right. And like those are, and then you're not getting pushback about whether or not you influence the deal when you do that. So it's about marketing growing up and stop, stop trying to just use software to take credit for things that would have happened anyway and to start taking ownership of driving the fucking business. Right. And, you know, kind of looking at some of the questions, we have a few that came in here uh, towards the end of the session. Um, but like kind of going back to this kind of attribution reporting that you just talked about. It seems like, you know, one of our listeners asked, like, it seems like it's getting more outdated every single day, right? Like, that seems like it's useful if you use it in the right way, but if you keep relying on it, it's just going to keep feeding you bad data, garbage in, garbage out. How, you know, like, if you could, like, kind of, like, summarize or reiterate some of those, like, KPIs of, like, how do you talk to your executive team? How do you talk to your CFO to create that story? And one of the tools using attribution, for example, like, how does, how is that, like, how do you change it from, like, a toolkit to use to tell your story as opposed to like this is like the gospel of truth knowing that like software is not gonna be able to track it all yeah so um the first thing that i've recommended for people to help executives see um is that people need to understand that they're that what's happening that's getting read through software is not the same as what's happening in reality which a lot of people mm -hmm. don't understand yet so the easiest win I do immediately is I help people say, hey, on the form where most of your revenue comes through at a field that says, how did you hear about us? Make it required and make it a free text field. Don't be lazy and put a drop down. That limits all the answers and biases the answers. Don't do that. Put a free text field and you'll get all the information. Then compare that to attribution software and show that to people in aggregate. You can then take that, categorize the, the qualitative data that people mm -hmm. give, which I've done before and we're going to publish soon. And then stack those up against two people and say, here's the attribution report of ARR closed one of what software says, and then overlay what customers say from a lead mm -hmm. source perspective and show mm -hmm. that it's almost 100% different. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's step one is getting executives to acknowledge, hey, there's actually a lot of stuff happening here that isn't getting measured by software. We need mm -hmm. in order to make better strategy decisions and how to make investments and things like that. We need a different way to do this. We need, mm -hmm. it's not even a different way. It's not a replacement. We need other ways on a top mm -hmm. of what we're right now to add new insights. And so that's kind of like, I think that's step one is to get buy-in of, hey, there's something different going on here. And then from there, I think the next step is that you need to be delivering on your targets before you can get into storytelling mode. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not delivering on your targets, what's the first thing that people are going to do? They're going to say, marketing's not delivering. Let's go figure out what's wrong. Let's mm -hmm. go. What, what do we do when we're looking for some, what's wrong? We're going to go straight to the attribution report. And then they're going to say, okay, now we're at the attribution report. Where's all the revenue coming from? Oh, mm -hmm. paid search, organic search, direct right. traffic, maybe a little bit from G2 and Captera. Here we go. All right, forget the podcast. Shut off the LinkedIn ads. Forget this. Let's mm -hmm. put all, more money back into paid search and then whatever we can do to run lead gen that we can measure. 
So like that's the exact conversation that will happen when you do not hit your targets. Mm -hmm. So before you get into storytelling mode, it's like maybe we need, and I, I know I have empathy that this is, can be a struggle for companies that raise money and then have to hit aggressive goals. But maybe you got to take a step back in marketing to let this work. The worst mm -hmm. thing in marketing is to have growing targets and not have the time and the space and the resources to actually hit them. Because then mm -hmm. if the target keeps growing, all you do is you keep doing the, the dumb shit that doesn't work <laughs> because you don't have the time to do anything in the right way. It's like if you ask someone, hey, I need you to lose 100 pounds in a week. What are you going to have to do? You have to do a <laughs> lot of shit that's bad for your body to even attempt yeah. to do that. Right. Instead of do, say, hey, I want you to lose 100 pounds in two years or 100 pounds mm -hmm. in a year. Then what do you do? You can eat better. You can get on an exercise plan. You can think about not taking fat burners and all the other stuff mm -hmm. that's bad for you that actually drives the unintended result. And then whatever, mm -hmm. you lose 30 pounds and next week you gain it all back. Right. And so this isn't just about getting the result for people. It's about building the muscle of like the of you it's not like you hit some like some level you need to build the muscle and the skill so that you can keep delivering on it so it mm -hmm. can keep growing right and so like if you just had like pop something up on linkedin and then all of a sudden you had one post that went viral mm -hmm. and then you got a couple of inbound leads from it but you didn't learn anything from it and then all you're doing is just reaching for a viral post and you never get it again mm -hmm. It's like it can be a real struggle. And so you need to have something that can deliver consistently where you understand the underlying mechanics of why it's working for buyers, psychology, mm -hmm. data, things like that. Why is it working so that over time, when you see other opportunities, you can slot them in? It's why like all of my background running like or Facebook organic to try mm -hmm. and sell electronics in 2013 to Instagram. And then so when I saw LinkedIn, I knew what to do. Right. Knew, it just it made sense. And so we, people need to be able to build those patterns because when you see when I see a mm -hmm. new channel, I know ex not only like whether or not it's going to work, I also know exactly how to use it to make it work. Yes, there's some nuances about it. Do I need to use hashtags? Do mm -hmm. I need to do this? What's the best way? There's like there's a lot of things to learn, but at a top level strategy, it's very clear about how is it going to work for me and how am I going to make it work? So you're saying things like to you know, if I heard that correctly, like when marketers or companies in general really evaluate new channels, they, they you know, I, I think most recently, like the, the TikTok trend, right? Like high engagement, I would say almost unlimited potential, right? Like just mm -hmm. because of how little folks are actually doing it right there, like, you know, being B2B brands, building that demand. How do you, like, if you could like go a little bit more nuanced, like how do you unpack which channels to go after and like what is the impact right like when it's when it's first coming up there's a lot of like first mover advantages like being the first to get tiktok right i'm sure will get you a lot of traction the first mm -hmm. person to get linkedin right gets you a lot of traction right like how do you how do you balance the side of like you know th this this thing is growing and you know i'm an early adopter versus like this thing is going to take off like how do you make that distinction yeah. So first, um, being first somewhere gives you the best opportunity, but in the end, it's who's the best, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If I was pretty early mm -hmm. on LinkedIn, but there were plenty of people before me and I had a little bit of traction, but at any point, if I decided, Hey, I'm actually, we're, we're good enough. Let's forget the podcast. And instead of posting uh, mm -hmm. five times a week, I'll just post once a month. How quickly would I become irrelevant? It would take less than a month. Right. 
really just would. immediately forgotten. You got it. Like it's so being first is nice, but you really got to be best and you got to deliver every day. Mm-hmm. Um, how I, how you figure out whether or not something's going to work for you is you need to have the pattern recognition of the channels, right? So uh, having an understanding of the dynamics of the reach and things like that is mm-hmm. one component. So how is the channel developing? And it's very clear when you're like in something that's new, like a TikTok or a LinkedIn a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, LinkedIn opportunity is still pretty big right now mm-hmm. that like you see there's people out there that are posting about marketing that are getting a thousand likes on a post. Mm-hmm. There must be thousands of people on this platform that <laughs> like marketing content. Right. And then when I post, the first post that I make is only I only get nine likes. Right. But a couple of them are marketing managers at B2B SaaS companies. A couple of them were CMOs. I got one comment from a CMO. One person sent me a DM and said, Hey, that was really interesting. Could we chat for a couple minutes? I'm trying to figure out how to do X, Y, and Z. Um, those are the sig- those are the qualitative signals right. that you need to say, okay, so like I'm getting initial signals that people like the stuff that I'm posting and Mm -hmm. I'm seeing people out there that are getting major traction in marketing. So if they're doing it, I probably could. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's not, it's not overly complicated, right? Like it's not (laughs) right. Like it's not something where it's like, you know, I, I go back to like, you know, my like high school stats class. I'm like, yeah, I look at some formulas and some people are like, wow, that's crazy. Maybe your, your engineering classes as well. But like, it's not, it's not that, right? Like it's, uh, there's so much like common sense and like the dis- distribution between like what you should actually be doing action versus common sense, right? Like in engineering yeah. terms, I think it's so, it's so telling that like they have the rubber ducky effect of like you talk to something inanimate and just like speaking it out, you're like, oh, I kind of got it. Like the idea, no one told you like it was good or bad. You just like kind of knew it, but you needed yeah. to talk it out a little bit more. I mean, the uh, the number one question that I ask uh, marketers that I'm trying to hire or people mm-hmm. that might want to work with us or things like that, number one that I ask, what's working the best for you right now? Mm-hmm. It's an immediate tell of how, what they're doing in marketing, how they think about attribution, and whether or not they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of people will get biased and will say paid search because of the attribution bias that paid search has. Um, mm-hmm. but then you start to dig a little bit deeper and like, as a marketer, if you are a top 1% marketer, you should always mm-hmm. know the number one thing that's delivering for you right now. For us right, right now, it's a podcast. A lot of people think it's LinkedIn. I mean, they kind of go hand in hand. But at mm-hmm. 12 months, ago, I would have said LinkedIn. And at the moment, it's po- podcast drives way more of an impact for us because of the depth that gets created in a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just like the following and just like the engagement overall. Like I yeah. listen to a lot more podcasts than I do like on LinkedIn, right? Like podcast tells me information. I self-select, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I can like follow, like, for example, Chris Walk, I can follow you and be like, okay, cool. This is an interesting topic. That's very yeah. different than like, like LinkedIn one, and just comments. Yeah. One, two combo over there. And then, so let's keep, let's get that machine going, mm-hmm. right? Like I know that that's working right now. And it's very mm-hmm. clear because of all the signals, both business data, mm-hmm. custom self-reported attribution, what people tell us in sales calls, all this different stuff. And so let's run that machine. And then what do we need to do? We need to go and place a couple of bets of what's next. Mm -hmm. And when people, so people don't establish that initially, right? Like all in on what is going to be the thing that's going to work. And then let's make this our workhorse where it delivers 50% or more of pipeline. Let's make it really work. Yeah, like doubling down on the stuff that works. They do like a little sprinkle of something. And they're like, oh, let's go find something else now. And they actually Mm -hmm. never get like even scratch the surface of the capabilities of anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and now at the moment, the two that were like the next couple bets is YouTube and TikTok. And now it's like, right. 
if they don't play out, it's fine. We're already crushing our goals, and we have a couple <laughs> of programs that definitely work. But in a couple of years, maybe a little bit of dynamics change, and link, like LinkedIn starts to lose mm -hmm. attention. All they do is prioritize polls, and people are so fucking annoyed with <laughs> so people leave LinkedIn, and then that yeah. attention moves to TikTok. And then instead of us scrambling, be like, shit, we used to have 100,000 followers on LinkedIn. Now we have mm -hmm. zero on TikTok. What are we going to do? Instead of that, we've already built there for two years and we know what we're doing, right? right. It's just, it, it seems like common sense. But the thing that people don't do is they don't prioritize initially. They mm -hmm. never have the one or two things that really work. Or if they do, they are things that have attribution bias that aren't really working that make them feel like it's working, which mm -hmm. is at the moment search, Paid right. organic search is the one that companies use that they still think works. Nine, I literally pulled the data today. 92% of our revenue gets attributed. This is probably like, since we've been tracking it, more than 5 million ARR gets attributed yeah. to organic search. And we don't do any SEO. <laughs> and so there are people out there that are telling you SEO strategies and they're working mm -hmm. on SEO and they're chalking up all the revenue that's coming through their website to, that gets attributed to organic search mm -hmm. that way. And guess what? It has nothing to do with the SEO. It has yep. dark social. People go in there and they buy stuff and organic search takes all the credit for it. And so um, to get back on the point, identify the things that are actually going to work for you one or two mm -hmm. at a time and then make them really work. Mm -hmm. Well, I think on that note, I think we were at time, Chris. I want you to get back to your day. It was an amazing conversation. Yeah, this was a blast. Uh, thank you for joining. I think Hopefully our audience took away some amazing things from today's session. Um, make sure to sign up for next week's session. We're gonna be going over with uh, our marketing ops manager at PandaDoc. Uh, it should be a great session. Again, thank you, Chris, for joining us today. Thanks everyone. This was a blast. I appreciate you.